We want to just welcome our Monroe scholars who are here with us today. Would you just, yeah, would you applaud them? They're sitting right here. We're excited to meet you as you spend time on our campus, and we pray that you would find us a community that's really welcoming. A little over a year ago, I'm sure many of you saw the Instagram photos of the gifted photographer Stephen Crowley of the New York Times. He began releasing a series of photos of his daughter, Hannah, that he had photoshopped. So he took pictures of Hannah in dangerous situations and then sent them to his family. So here is one photo of Hannah photoshopped on the banister uh, overlooking a, a body of water. He, so he photoshopped them and then he sent them to his family, particularly his parents and his mother-in-law. And so uh, there's the first one. Let's look at the next picture. There's Hannah um, brandishing a knife in one hand and then with her other hand on the knives. And if you can notice the, the lighter, the, the burner right next to her, the gas burner is on. These were, these were photoshopped. They're not, let me just, just let me just looking in disbelief. Okay, here's another one. Here she is going up the ladder uh, into the attic. And then this last one is actually my very favorite. There she is on the banister. He was using his gifts, right? We just can't blame him for doing that. I thought maybe you might need a Christmas gift idea, a calendar photo of Photoshop photos to give your family uh, or to give your mother-in-law. Um, to perhaps give them some reason to doubt why their son or daughter married you. Um, <laughs> at any rate, um, Stephen Crowley has a gift for photography and for photoshopping. He has a gift for making us laugh and for making his mother-in-law cry. <laughs> Thanks, Richie. We've been reading through 1 Corinthians 13, right? It's where we've been spending the last semester. It's a study in the misuse of giftedness of some of the people in the church in Corinth. And Paul lays out this letter, and in particular this chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, as an alternative way of how they might use their gifts for others rather than against others. And in our time together, we've discovered something about gifts. Paul doesn't want them to diminish their gifts. That's not the purpose or the intent of the letter. What he does want to do is help them see that they have walked down a road. They've taken a path. They have traveled away where they valued their gifts above the giver of the gift. In fact, um, they found themselves so gifted that they loved their giftedness even more than loving God who had given the gifts. They believed that their being gifted was a sign from God that they had arrived, that they had nothing left to learn because they had attained it all. And it was this church's Achilles heel, if you will, that they had stopped learning how to love others in their community. Because after all, they spoke in the language of angels, right? They understood mysteries and knowledge. 
And they prophesied. They had done all of that. They had these gifts. What else was there to learn? They had reached the pinnacle of being human. They had reached the heights, the heights of loving themselves above all else. And so now let's turn to the last portion of 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 8. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. What they couldn't see clearly is what we can see very plainly. That at the height of loving themselves, they found themselves in the very depth of their sin. That's that upside down kingdom of God that we talk about. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see the whole story. Paul uses several metaphors in this entire passage of scripture to help them see more clearly because they believe at this moment in their lives when they're demonstrating all of their spiritual giftedness that this is it, that this is the human accomplishment. This, though, is not the be-all and all. The greater story of God was just lost on them. They couldn't see clearly that the height of loving themselves was the depth of their need for God. God has more prepared for them and for us who are moving toward a time and a place that is beyond them, that is beyond us. That place in the future existence, that future hope, when everything is made right, when everything's made complete, when we experience shalom. The word we use for that place is eschaton. You don't hear that very often in chapel. <laughs> but I want to use it today so that you understand the fullness of its meaning, that it is that place that we are moving toward. And the Corinthians' problem was that they thought there in their moment of living, their moment of giftedness, their moment of human accomplishment, that they had arrived, that there was nothing else ahead of them. They couldn't see it clearly. Paul uses this phrase, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And it is in this 
just very end of this scripture that we really begin to see the importance of love. See, the Corinthians aren't seeing, that one of the metaphors that Paul uses, the Corinthians aren't seeing clearly, their glasses are fogged up. It's like they're looking in, in a city that produced the finest mirrors, Corinth. Their mirror is warped. It's like they're looking at a photograph and believing that that is the real thing in front of them. So now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So I just want to share with you a little bit about why this was so important to say at the very end of this letter about love. Why not faith? Why wouldn't faith be the greatest of these things? Faith is that belief in God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, trusting in something that we cannot see. That's faith. Hope is holding unswervingly to that future existence, the eschaton, when all is made whole, shalom. But love is the way in which we live in relationship with God and with each other. So why not faith? Because in that place, that place that we're moving toward, that place of wholeness and completeness, because there faith will be made sight. Because there we will see God face to face. And even the gifts that were given to the Corinthians by faith, those gifts that had tripped them up, they will disappear. They will fall away. They will become like a vapor. They're gifts of language and prophecy and knowledge and mysteries. They won't need that at that place because all of our faith will be made sight when we behold God face to face. Why not hope? Because in that place, that place that we're moving toward, that place that the Corinthians missed, all will be complete. All will be made right. Shalom will happen in its wholeness in that place. There will be no need for hope because hope will come true right there with us. That's why there's no need for faith, no need for hope. But that thing which remains there in the end is love. Because our relationship with God and our relationship with each other will still exist there. And now these three remain. Now, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is that thing which will last forever. Even there, when all is made whole, when all is made complete, when we see God face to face, love will still exist there. While some in the Corinthian community were content with who they were, I don't believe that that's where we are as a community. I don't think we've been deceived. I don't think we're looking through dimmed glasses. We're not looking through that warped mirror. I think we have a true picture of who we are. I have observed your love in action in the last month. Let me just share with you some of the ways that I've seen love in action on our campus. Over the last month, as students of color speak, students in leadership have listened. 
on this campus as you deliver socks and sandwiches this Saturday to those affected by homelessness in Boston. You live out love and action. This month I saw softball players welcome prospective students into their dorm rooms. Happy to do it. Really loving in action. We rejoiced together this month, or maybe it was last, when soccer team and volleyball teams really celebrated all of their efforts throughout the year. We rejoiced with them. And this week, we mourned together as a community when others mourned the loss of dear friends, gone too soon and too young. And in fact, even today, as you leave chapel, you will encounter students participating in Stand in Unity, a demonstration in student activism against hate and discrimination. As you leave today, you are welcome to stand with the Black Student Union in an expression of solidarity and love. We get it right sometimes, and other times we get it wrong. And we could fall into that trap of only looking at things when we get it wrong or only looking at things when we get it right. But we do this both ways, right and wrong. We do it as a community. One commentator shared it this way, love is a way that we all can travel, no matter who we are or what we do. If you've had the chance to visit our newly uh, refurbished family room, it's a place created in memory of Reverend Lawson Saunders, the colonel. Uh, he was, or he is described as the unofficial chaplain of ENC. He was the unofficial chaplain of ENC when he worked here. And um, I had the opportunity to be a student here when the colonel was one of our custodians. He lived his life here outside of the bounds or parameters or boundaries of his title as custodian. As students gathered in Angel Chapel early before classes, he was there at 7 a.m. and he was asking these questions. What is God teaching you? Where have you seen God in your life? Who do we need to pray for in our community? What do we need to pray about? Words spoken softly, waiting patiently, waiting with anticipation for our answers. No titles, no neckties, just himself, just quietly moving, quietly smiling, that was the colonel. Simple faith and yet profound knowledge. He had a way of being with us. The way for the colonel was to be present with everyone who he met along the way. Not very different from Eugene Peterson, a man with a pastor's heart who passed away just a few weeks ago. And he describes the way like this. The way is not an abstraction, a slogan, a principle. It is a metaphor, 
It is a road, a path, a street, a highway, a trail, and simultaneously a person, a body that we can see and a spirit that we cannot see, speaking words that we can understand, sitting down to dinner with friends, teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum and along the shores of a Galilee lake, sailing in a boat and riding on a donkey, throwing a picnic featuring bread and fish for 5,000 men and women with their children, spending the night praying for us in the mountains, dying on that Golgotha cross, rising from the dead and breathing his resurrection life into us. That is the Jesus way. This entire semester we've been thinking about, and I've been talking about the manner in which we love each other. But the truth is that the way of life, which came very natural to the Corinthians, also comes very natural to us until we encounter the one who comes to us in a very different way, who emptied himself of all but love. He didn't push his way into this world. He loved his way into this world. He loved his way into many of your lives. He loved his way into my life. He knows us fully. He knows me fully. When I'm honest with myself, when I see God seeing me, it causes me to tremble. That he still pushes his way by love into my life, <laughs> even seeing all that he sees. That he still comes to me in that way. That he knows the height of my self-love. He knows the depth of my sin. And he still comes to us via Jesus. Perhaps we aren't seeing clearly. Perhaps you're not seeing clearly. Perhaps your glasses are fogged up. Or your mirror is warped. Or you're looking at a picture and you think that that's the real thing. Perhaps you're operating with childish behavior or immature understanding. Sometimes we get it wrong, even when we think we're getting it right. And so I just want to ask you today to take a moment and ask yourself the question, are you tired of loving yourself? Are you tired of loving yourself more than you love God? The way forward is not just a path for you to try to follow and stay on and walk on. It is a person who spent a night praying for you. That is the way. Jesus is the way. It is about this person who hung on a cross and rose from the dead and breathes resurrection life into you and to me. God begins to work in us, creating in us a desire or pursuit of a new heart, a new way. This is the, the end of our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. And I think we've learned some things about it, what it is and what it's not. 
I think at the very end, though, it's really not about us discovering gifts. It's about us discovering Jesus. So would you bow your heads with me and listen as I pray over you, sort of a modified version of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects and always trusts. Jesus always hopes and always perseveres. And so, Jesus, we pray for those who haven't known you in this way, for those who haven't seen things clearly, for those who haven't surrendered all of their love for themselves to their love for you. God, I pray that the one here who needs to see that clearly, that your spirit would be with them today. And God, for the one who is here, who is carrying the heaviest burden, whether that's a burden of someone else, a burden for someone else, or even a burden of themselves. God, that you would calm, that you would reveal yourself to them in a new way. God, we desire to be people of the way, the Jesus way. Would you be with us? In Jesus' name, amen.